This is Apply the Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor Ty Orr and Water Springs Church. Here's a preview from Pastor Ty of today's message. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here is this example of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. He made himself no reputation. He went to the cross and died. So Paul's basically saying, here's your example. You need to esteem others better than yourself. You need to be willing to die to yourself to make sure they can live. I want you to just think about that for a minute. Die to yourself so they can live. There is one common goal for all believers, to grow in the Lord and to spread His Word to the world that needs it so much. Today, Pastor Ty is going to encourage you with the words of Paul, for believers to encourage each other and to build each other up so their faith is strengthened together. As the church grows, more people will be able to spread the gospel to even more people. And it all starts with a humble heart before God, encouraging other believers on the same road. Now here's Pastor Ty in the book of Philippians chapter two for today's edition of Apply the Word. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. So in Philippians, we've talked about it. It's a book of really of joy. If this is Paul, and he's, he's talking, he's in prison, but he's saying, you rejoice always. You know, rejoice. But he's also talking about, you know, how we live and, and how we should live. And, you know, he's talking, for, he's saying about of himself, look, I really, I'm kind of bummed that I'm still here because for me to be gone is to be with the Lord, that's gain. But you know what? It's good for me to stay. And I believe the Lord wants me to stay to minister to you and that we would have great joy together and our joy would be full. And he says in verse 27 of chapter one, so let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And he goes on into verse 29 says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, you have as a Christian in you this thing called suffering. I mean, it's part of what we do. We suffer for Christ. You know, as Christ suffered, we suffer. Why do we suffer? Because people hate Christ. You guys understand that, right? People don't like Jesus. Do you know why they don't like Jesus? Because they come to a place of thinking, man, you know what? If Jesus is God, then what Jesus said is right. And if what Jesus said is right, I might have to actually repent. I might actually have to change my life a little bit because I need to be in a place where I'm right with God. And so what people want to do is they want to ignore God so they don't have to get right with God. But the problem is that one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to be in trouble. And so we've talked about that need for us to be sharing with people. That's why our conduct needs to be worthy of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again from the dead, that those who would believe upon him would not perish, they'd have everlasting life. I mean, that's simply the gospel right there. If you're worried about going to hell, you believe on Jesus, you're not going to go there. I mean, that's it. But Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the fact that God starts a work in somebody when they believe, he's not going to end that work. But as he's doing this work in us, he's growing us up. As he grows us up, we realize that Suffering is just part of the gig. You guys know what I'm talking about? Suffering's part of the gig. I mean, you know, when I became a Christian, I kind of lost all my friends. 
But then I began to realize they weren't my friends. And I gained a whole new set, which I now call family, the body of Christ. See, if somebody's destroying your life, they're not a friend. A friend is one who's involved and invested in your life. And so as he talks about this idea of suffering for Christ, he comes to chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, therefore, okay, so now that since you know what, you've been called to suffer, you see this conflict in me, which is suffering, you hear is in me, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, this is important. What is he saying? He says, if there is any consolation in Christ. By the way, consolation, encouragement, hope. Is there consolation in Christ? The answer is what? Yes. So he says, if there is any consolation in Christ, which the answer is yes. Is there any comfort in love? Yes. The answer is yes. So this is what he's saying to them. He says, look, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort in love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, and is there fellowship in the Spirit? We have a fellowship with the Spirit of God? Yes, there is. And he says, if there is any affection and mercy, which yes, there is. So he says, therefore, if there is anything in these things that would be true, would you do me a favor? Would you do this for me? And that's what he's saying. What does he ask them to do? He says, fulfill my joy by being. He's asking them to do something. He says, look, because we all suffer in Christ, if there's any hope in Christ, love in Christ, consolation, mercy, hope, if there's anything in this right now, I want you to just take a moment and do me a favor, do something for me. Okay, so since the listener would hear and say, okay, I hear what he's saying. He's saying, yes, these are all affirmative things. Yes, all these things exist. So what he's saying is this. Since all these things are yes and amen and they're right, then here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to do this for me. He says, be like-minded. Like-minded. Having that one direction, that unity. He's talking about unity, being like-minded, having the same love. What love? The love that Jesus has given for us. We need to have this love. Guys, we've talked about it as a church. Uh, John, chapter 15, dealing with those issues. They were all going to know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. I mean, that's it. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus even said, love your enemies. I mean, love should be the characteristic of the believer. Why? Because the characteristic of God, the characteristic of God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16 say God is love. So if God is love, then his followers should be in this like-mindedness of love. We should have love for one another. We should just lather each other with love and with grace. Giving forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. How many of you in this room need to be forgiven? Right? We all need it. Wouldn't it be weird to go to a church where people didn't forgive you for your sins? Did you know that they exist? Yes, they do. There are places that you can go that you go in and say, well, you can't be forgiven for that sin or this thing or that thing. You can't be forgiven. You know what? You can be forgiven for all of your sins through Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have in Christ. So he says, have this love, being of one accord, not in one accord. We all can't get in a small car, but listen. But the idea of being of one accord, the idea of being, you know, I love that one accord. I always think about this as a musician, the idea of being in harmony, chord, 
being in harmony. So be of, be of love, the same love that God has given us, who God is. Be in harmony, in one accord, in one mind. Have one mind. In other words, don't be divided. Have one mind. Which is that mind? The mind we're supposed to have is the mind of Christ. And he said, listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than ourselves. This is a verse, by the way, which we all should have memorized. This is a verse which we should know. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. All right, selfish ambition. Let's talk about it. Selfish ambition, this word means this in the Greek language very clearly. It means a self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. In other words, trying to get power by cheating. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a foreign concept, but no, it is, right? Selfish ambition. We've all seen selfish ambition, haven't we? We see it every we see it in politics. We see it in government. We see it, you know, we see it in every organization on the planet. But you know what's really interesting and the sad thing is where else do we see it? We see it in the church. This should not be in the church because that means we're not being in one accord. We're not being in love with one another. We're not being like-minded with Christ. We're not being of one mind because somebody's trying to have this power. It's really strange how people get power hungry. Do you know what I mean? You guys all know my name's Ty. You call me Ty. I'm good with that. It's not reverend or the most holy. It's not anything like that. That's weird. When we get phone calls to the church, and says, is the reverend or there? I, I want to tell the ladies, tell them you got the wrong number. <laughs> and here's why. Because there's only one reverend, and that is God. And the scriptures even say that. Why would you call a person reverend? You can't. I'm not reverend. I'm an idiot. Okay? I, you know, I'm always falling down. I'm making mistakes. I'm a sinner. If you want to call, oh, sinner or sinner or is there, right? You know, is, it, is the chief sinner in? Yes, he is. Hold on. I'll get you to his extension, you know? I mean, that's really where it's at. And so we have to understand something. We don't want to be looking for power in the church. Somebody asked me one time, well, where are your deacons and deaconesses? I said, they're everywhere. Where's the list of them? So we don't need a list. They know who they are. People know who are serving. We probably have almost 75 people that function in the role of deacon in this church. Now, you know what happens the moment we give one of them a title? <laughs> Somebody sn snickers, right? It's like, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I am a deacon. You know, it's like all of a sudden it's like, and now I'm in charge of all the other deacons or whatever, right? It's really weird. When we get, to, have you ever noticed people get weird when they get titles? They get weird when they get titles. They get a title, you know? It's like, I remember watching one guy one time. I was a general manager for a radio station for a long time. And there was a guy that worked for me for a long time. We made him the station manager. Now, we finally gave him the title. He'd been doing it for like two years. We gave him the title. We had to fire him six months later. Because as soon as we gave him the title, he became this monster of arrogant pride. I, I look at me, I, you know, I'm the station manager. And, he, and then he'd start playing this little game, you know, where I, you know, I'd make a call and say, well, I'm a station manager, I can work better. And he would do these weird things with some of our clients and stuff. He was like, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. And we had to let him go. I felt bad. We would have never given him the title. He'd still be working there probably today. We have to be so very careful. And so many people want power. They want a title. Look, my name's Ty, okay? Just, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'm, I've been called to be a pastor. Thank you. Hi, my name's Ty. Hi, Ty. I'm a Christian. Okay. <laughs> yes, I've been saved for 22 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, 
Some of you will get that. I'll take a minute. You know, so all the AA folks are going, that's funny. Uh, everybody else is going, what are you talking about? But okay, but here's the thing. The thing is this selfish ambition, trying to get a title, trying to get position. Guys, things in a church are organic. You know, when, when we serve, people recognize that we're serving. When God has called us to ministry, people recognize God has called us to ministry. Why would we look for a title when none is needed? Because Jesus Christ is what we glorify, not one another. I don't need to give you a title. You don't need to give me a title. Yes, in that sense, yes. Do I have a calling to the church? Yes. You know, what does pastor mean? You guys know what pastor means? It means toilet cleaner is what it means. I mean, it means, you know, it means you clean your servant, you, one who cleans the pasture, you know, one who's cleaning. I mean, that's it. You're, I'm a servant. That's it. Now, an interesting thing about conceit, though, he talks about selfish ambition, but he also talks about conceit. Now, conceit is very interesting because it's a vain or exaggerated self-evaluation. Now, have you ever met somebody like that, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And the same person who, looking for the title, usually has this problem. They think, well, I should do that ministry because I have all these skills. And I, I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no way that I should be doing anything that I'm doing outside of the grace of God. I shouldn't do anything that I do outside of his grace because I'm a grace case. I'm a mess. I, I am. I'm a mess. And God, through his love for me, has said, look, I'm going to bring you into my body. I'm going to make you one with me, one with my body. Have one love. Have one heart. Have one mind. And don't do things to, for selfish and conceited reasons. And then he says, I love what he says next. He says, and then esteem others greater than yourself. Now, this is such a beautiful thing. When he says there, he says, esteem others better than yourself. What does it mean to esteem, to think of them at this point? The wording here is basically this. You need to think of others greater than yourself. Don't think you're good. Don't think you're great. Think others are great. Lift other people up. Do you realize what would happen if the entire church would do that? If people would quit trying to climb to the top and people would start pushing everybody else to the top, could you imagine what would happen? As a, as a high school band teacher, I learned this principle before I was saved. Because I taught drumline, and you'd have a center snare player who was like, he was the center, he was a leader. He was the best player. And then you had a bass drum player who played one of the smaller bass drums, who was a center, he was in charge of that section. And we had these different guys in charge of these different sections. And one time I came into a rehearsal, and I saw them getting all kind of arrogant. And kind of being mean to some of the younger kids, because you understand that I'm dealing with like ninth graders that were just entering into this whole realm of marching band. You have to understand, rehearsal was at 5.30 in the morning. How many teenagers get up with a great attitude at 5.30 in the morning? None of them, <laughs> you know? And so they're struggling. And so I took these guys, I said, here's the deal. You're all now playing last chair and everything. I'm demoting you all to your last chair. You have to work your way up. I saw something very interesting happen. Over the next four weeks, everybody else started playing better because they had to. Because there was somebody who was so good underneath them that they realized, man, I need to step it up because I'm being pushed to be better. When the scripture talks about building one another up in the most holy faith, exhorting one another to love and to good works, that's what we're talking about. Getting underneath one another, lifting one another up, thinking of others better than ourselves because we want to bless others. And he says in verse 4, let each of you... Look out not only for his own interests, which, by the way, we do. Do you understand that, right? We look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look out for the church. Look out for the body of Christ. Look out for one another. Love each other. Help each other. But don't be trying to get power through selfish ambition. Now, he goes on in verse 5, and he begins to give us this great example, by the way. 
He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, so the idea of, hey, you know what? If there's any consolation, all these things, don't do things selfishly and conceited. But think about Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Do you think we have a good example of what it means to esteem others greater than yourself? What a great example. This is the Paul's example. He says, look, here's my example. If you don't understand what I'm saying, look at Jesus. Jesus, who was God, humbled himself and became the least, the lowest. What are we supposed to do? Can we do any less? No, absolutely not. We can't do any less. And so he says that we become, we make ourselves of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. We come as a child to Christ. In verse 8, he says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here is this example of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. And he went to the cross and died. So Paul's basically saying, here's your example. You need to esteem others better than yourself. You need to be willing to die to yourself to make sure they can live. I want you to just think about that for a minute. Die to yourself so they can live. Do you realize that, that being a, a man or a woman who knows the truth of the gospel, so many times we don't die to ourselves that others can live because we're always like, oh, I'm afraid that's going to be embarrassing to go talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't know about doing outreach. I don't know. You know how many of you guys have ever made an excuse about out reaching out with the gospel? Anybody ever make an excuse? Guys, die to yourself that others may live. I mean, that's what Jesus did. So he's our example. So Paul's saying, hey, man, here's a great example for you. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Verse 34. In Mark 8, verse 34, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. And, and this kind of, you know, is, is along what we're talking about here. And, and Jesus says, he called the people to himself with his disciples also. He said to them, please understand, this wasn't just to his disciples, this was to everybody. So he called the crowd, he called his disciples, and he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words is an adulterous and sinful generation. Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? Jesus just said, this is it. If you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. Because if you think you found your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose what you think you have. And so Jesus humbled himself. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9 now, he says, now here's a conclusion because of this. All this thing he's saying, he says, now, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So Please understand, he was humbled. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He died. And so because of his humility, God exalted him. Do you realize what the scripture says about you? Peter, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. One of the first things we have to do to humble ourselves is we have to repent of our sin, follow Jesus Christ with everything, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. So many times we think, well, you know what, it's, I can kind of play a game with God. You know what, I'm going to be right now, if you're playing a game with God, you're going to lose. It's just the way the cards are going to roll out, okay? You know, you can't gamble with God and win. 
Maybe I'll be good enough. Maybe I can go to heaven. You know, you can't. It's either you're with, it's either you're born again or you're not. Either you're saved or you're not. And I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm going to encourage you right now to get right with God. To say, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need to be saved from my sin. If you don't know what a sin is, if you ever told a lie, that's a sin. There you go. You've, <laughs> if, you told one, if you told one lie, you've broken all God's law. That's just how it works. James 2.10, if you break one, break them all. You don't chip God's law, you break it. And that's what's happened. And so now he goes on and he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow to those under heaven, to those on earth, and to those who are under the earth. And that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is it. You know, he humbled himself and God has exalted him that all will bow under Jesus. What did he say? He said, don't do things out of selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is trying to get a political place of power through deceptive means. Think about something. If Jesus is the name that's exalted and every knee will bow to Jesus, why would you look for power? Why would we look for power if he is the one with power? And so I'm just going to say, okay, Jesus, you have all power. I'm going to bow my life to you. I'm going to surrender all to you. And so as I surrender all to you, Lord, I'm going to be a light for you. I'm going to share with people. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to humble my, I'm going to esteem others. I'm going to reach others with the love of your love because ultimately you're exalted and I'm going to be exalted with you. So why do I have to worry about trying to make this you know, this big thing out of my life. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It kind of make, it makes sense. And so verse 12, he says this. So, therefore, my beloved, therefore, behold, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, wait a minute, Ty. You just said a moment ago we need to receive by faith and grace. And now here it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, let's finish up verse 13. We'll talk about it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we do need to take a look at it in its context. He's talking about the fact that, look, you don't want to be seeking this place. You want to humble yourself. Humble yourself as Christ humbled himself and esteem others and serve others. And so therefore, he's talking about how they've obeyed, not only his presence, but now, but working out your own salvation not to go into the linguistics of it, but let me just share with you what this basically rolls out to for us to understand. When we think of work, we have a tendency to think labor reward. Do you guys understand that? And you know what? Ultimately, you're going to have that anyway with the kingdom of God. But there's another way for you to think about this. He says, okay, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Carry your faith Carry your life to its ultimate conclusion of your own salvation. Keep working it out. Carry it through. You know what? You're saved. You don't have to work to get saved. But because you are now saved, you need to carry that through your life. You need to carry it on. You need to not put it down, lay it aside. You carry it through. You carry to its ultimate conclusion your own salvation. You carry it through. Guys, you understand that when you're saved, you're saved. Isn't it cool? But isn't it interesting to see people who are saved that just don't walk with the Lord anymore? A little weird. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? It's like, well, how could you not walk with Jesus? Those of us who are in this room right now who are in love with Jesus, can you imagine life without God? I, could, I can't imagine a day without Jesus. I can't imagine my life without God, without His hope, without His joy, without His... I cannot... Put, I, it is, I am unable to fathom that concept of a life without God. I can't imagine it. 
close fellowship and unity among the members of the body of Christ in the church is important for everyone to grow together in their faith. Pastor Ty showed you today that just as Paul said, you need to encourage one another so that everyone grows. They can better spread the word to the world and the people around them that need it. A church with members divided against themselves is one that can't grow like they should. Here at Apply the Word, our listeners are important to us. We'd love to connect with you and learn how this program has impacted your walk with God. If you'd like to share your testimony, please email us at applythewordatwatersprings.net and be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. We couldn't do what we're doing without the support of listeners like you, and we're grateful for every donation we receive. To learn how you can partner with us financially or through prayer for the ministry of Apply the Word, visit our website, watersprings.net. Keeping God at the center of your life is important for your fellowship with other believers and for your witness as you tell people about the hope that you have. Next time on Apply the Word, Pastor Ty is going to explore the importance of remembering God in everything you do and making Him the center of your life. You're called to die to yourself so that you can fully focus on furthering the kingdom with nothing distracting you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today as we study God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Ty, visit watersprings.net, download our mobile app, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. On behalf of Pastor Ty and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Apply the Word.